Welcome to Uplifting Humans, where we honor, empower, educate, and inspire the listener. I'm Celine Buller, your host. Our returning guest is Chris Chung. He is a vision-building storyteller. He embodies teachings from a long lineage of imagery masters, Taoist and Zen masters, Lao Tzu, and their teams, who came to him in 2016 to teach him and initiate him during many hours of dream time and deep meditation. He assists others in bringing forth non-dual dreams from the void, transforming imagery into practical milestones. Welcome, Chris. Thank you for having me back. It's, uh, it's exciting. It's amazing uh, that I have been able to be in touch with you because you are able to uh, clear so much confusion around so many different topics, but also mm. to share your journey with us. Mm. So, Chris, we were at a point where you were describing your uh, darkroom retreat um, that you had attended. So if you want to pick up from that point and then just carry forward. Okay. Um, So I'm in my darkroom retreat um, and third day is when I begin um, seeing, like seeing things, having this deeper sensation because a lot of the fears about being in the dark um, as sort of your body and your whole being is just blasting those fears away. Those fears don't make any more sense to you and they're just being worked. And this is where I begin to embark on this inner journey of um, reviewing my life uh, of all my relationships where I've hurt people, where other people have hurt me and review it from a perspective of um, compassion from the heart. wasn't viewing it from a perspective of thinking about why, why did they leave me? Why did they break up with me? Why did I break up with them? Or why, why did this happen to me? Why, 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 why? It wasn't about that anymore. Nor was it about um, reveling and stagnating myself in an emotional loop about them, feeling ashamed and feeling shame for feeling shamed and feeling my pride being hurt, feeling, you know, if something didn't work out the way it was supposed to be or how I was feeling hurt. It was just letting it come and seeing it, accepting it, embracing it, letting whatever emotions needed to arise, arise and becoming at peace with that. And so I began this, the next couple of days really deeply diving into this and um and so you know what would be in the dark room you sort of don't sleep as much what i perceive to be not sleeping so much i could only gauge by the roosters outside who were crowing what time it was or you know what what how many hours had passed because obviously we can't see in that space and there's no talking so i mean i'm not talking to anybody um, but during dream time, there's a lot of dream time work that's going on. I was, I was encountering my relationships again with, with my exes, with my family, with, with my school friends, with, you know, and seeing it play play itself out in, in what I would call like dream work. And then by the sixth day, um, on the sixth day during meditation, was when I suddenly saw myself burst into this golden light, quite literally, because of all the DMT release, I could see what was, what was happening. I burst into this golden light and every, everything changed gold. And in front of me, I could see this golden temple. And there was this uh, Buddha-like monk there who welcomed me. He's like, welcome, welcome to this space. I now call it the golden fountain. Um, But it's as though suddenly I felt uh, not a sexual or sensual orgasm, 
but it was an, an upper mind and higher level opening that suddenly just went whoosh, and everything changed gold. And I realized at that moment, I was like, oh, wow, this feels like a really massive, uh, another massive turning point. And it felt like another part of me had opened up. And it was true uh, because what started to happen was all of this, uh, I would say, knowledge or wisdom or uh, mm, I would just say it's like golden wisdom or that's why i say it's called for me it's the golden fountain it's like a fountain of wisdom that comes in that i would say sounds like um deepak chopra um sounds like what osho might say sounds like what some of the tibetan lamas might say sounds like what the dalai lama might say sounds like what the kobe mamas might say it sounds like sounds like all these people where you know we see a lot of memes now a lot of spiritual memes like it sounds like that this is the space that is uh that's coming through and so um i realized uh that it was here was another uh, special moment and actually after i uh the next three days were um, were just largely about trying to integrate what this all meant from uh, what what is this what is this experience? But rather than questioning it so much, okay, what am I getting? It's like opening up a massive download channel. It's like suddenly being changed from like a small bandwidth of, um, you know, like your Wi-Fi is a bit slow. It's, you know, it's a bit, it's kind of like you've got a, a narrow channel to which you can download information. It's like one megabit per second. Suddenly it's opened up to like a hundred or 200 or a thousand megabits per second. And so suddenly there's all this information. There's like pressures, pressure that's building in my head too. It's having to clear itself out and make its way through, through my body. And it's like entirely, I can feel like it clearing out my spine. There's all this extra sensation that's going up and down my spine all the time. And this DMT that's getting released. Little did I know that after I came out of the dark room and I checked my messages from friends, I had friends, for instance, messaging me and ex-girlfriends who, when I checked back the, my logs that I had written, one of my friends said, Chris, you came to me in a dream and you were glowing golden. And, and I was like, what, what, who, like, why are you shimmering? <laughs> she asked me why in the dream, why are you shimmering golden? What's going on? So apparently she had this whole dream, whereas, and <clears throat> it coincided with the exact day and time of that moment for me, as did a whole bunch of other people who were sending me messages they coincided with the exact same time that I wrote in my book when that person appeared in my, in my field and I started writing about them. And I was really actually channeling each person's story, uh, their beyond earth story as well. And I was writing all these things about each person. And I was writing, as I was writing about them, these people would be messaging me on my phone at the exact same date and time that they were messaging me. And that's when I was like, whoa, we are all connected. I get it because this is a, this is, <laughs> they're messaging me at random. They don't message. Like I wouldn't have spoken to some of my exes in like two years, for instance, and a random message appears at that date and time that I'm writing about them, for instance. <clears throat> so, um, that's a bit of a side, but taking me on towards the end of the nine days <clears throat> by that stage, I was like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy to get out of here. I could have done seven and I would have been happy, but you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, okay, cool. But coming out, everything that I saw was all the colors were just liquid. It was like these liquid colors. Everything was like a wave and I could see how, you know, science and physics says all colors are waves. 
they're not solid. They're, they're just waving. And I'm like, everything is a wave. I'm literally seeing it being a wave. And this is what they talk about when you, you know, the, the, the assimilating back to the light is <clears throat> you, um, you kind of, uh, yeah, it's a bit of adjusting. It's a bit of adjusting to the light again. Um, then when, also when I came out, <clears throat> excuse me, what I found was I could barely string together two or three words. Um, what I mean by that is like, I would kind of put together a sentence um, on, uh, you know, on a message or whatever. And they just didn't feel true anymore. Like I would write and I would delete, I would write, I would delete, I would write three words and I'd delete and I'd be like, this is, this is silly. Like I can't write anything. The only people I could speak to were the people who just came out of the dark room. <clears throat> I'm like, this is so weird. But what I found myself needing to do was with this new, uh, this new golden frequency that was, that was like in my field, I found that I needed new words to put new language, new literacy to put to this new feeling that was coming through. And all my old language wasn't working for me anymore. And so I had to start to change. I had to feel out what was right. And the reason I could speak to all these other people that had just exited the retreat was because a lot of these other people had just had very similar experiences to me. And so we were able to resonate at a different level and find words with each other. And so that was a big, that was a long process. It was maybe, you know, at least two weeks up to, you know, several months worth of developing literacy to these new feelings that were coming through. Oh, that's, um, uh, that's I, I mean, I, I can totally uh, understand that the spoken language is so, so limited unfortunately that you know that we do we do not have the words to express everything um right. i just have a couple of questions when you went into dream state where did you start the dream state of um my own dream state or um the other people's I've got a really bad cough. Yeah. Um, you said that you went back into time and you went through every single thing uh, yeah. that you had gone through. Did you go to like, I don't know, age eight? Did you go back to 16 or did you go back right to when you were in the fetus? I was, I went back to fetus. Wow. I went back to fetus and further to the point of before, like I was on earth. Yeah. So, so it, was that a choice you made or was that something that was just happening automatically? It happens automatically. Um, I would say it was mostly about my life, my life right now. Um, as opposed to be before this life, but the before this life was just, it was more glimpses of how they related to my current life themes and patterns that may have played themselves out again. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would, I would probably say that, uh, Looking, looking back at that, that experience now and the work I've done since then is, is just that like um, we're only able to process uh, trauma and, and conditioning and the like to the extent that we can see it. And we can only see it to the extent that we're not numb to it. So meaning, for instance, we will generally go back to states of trauma where we could feel something significantly emotionally unpleasant that was happening towards with us or, or with other people, with other people, those naturally come up first 
as points of contemplation, points of reflection. Um, the bits that um, are unseen are sometimes really difficult to bring out in meditation or in contemplation only. They may come out more like, especially what I would call the inner saboteur. So like potentially this, 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 there's a part of ourselves that like, for instance, um, as an example, I might as a child, uh, witness, not be bullied as much myself, but witness other people be bullied for like, let's say being called names. Oh, you're such a geek, blah, blah, blah. And being, being named all of these, um, you know, derogatory, shameful um, things for how, you know, being smart or not being able to play uh, sports with a lot of, a great deal of coordination. That event might, we might not necessarily consider traumatic for us emotionally. We may have numbed ourselves out to it, but we may develop conditioning uh, about, okay, I shouldn't, make myself appear like such a geek because I might get targeted for bullying. And so that might not necessarily be a very prominent event to go back towards to, to consider, but that may form a current of behavior that may act like an under, like a, in the inner saboteur, like the undercover agent that kind of every time you want to do something that seems like extraordinarily intelligent and like, let's say geeky, there is this part of ourselves that just holds us back a little bit, just a bit. And it's this air of mediocrity and it powers the inner saboteur powers inner mediocrity and it, it holds us back from really being our fullest potential. And it's those moments that potentially meditation and contemplation don't really bring to the forefront quite as much till we do other, other bits of work, you know? Right. Like the dark room retreat. Yeah. Um, uh, yes. A dark room retreat. I think everyone's probably thinking, Oh, I'd love to go on one. But the question is, if one needed to, like you're there for 10 days, you know, um, going to a washroom. If something's happening, you haven't had food, there's dehydration, there's this, that, and the other thing, obviously. People in the audience are probably wondering, you know, was it lead and how was that part of the retreat handled? Um, you know, I would, I would probably have said it's like a five or six star dark room because we had air conditioning, we had beds, we had, um, shared rooms, which had its own, you know, bathroom and, um, toilet. So although we're still in the dark when we're using the toilet, when you're not eating, you don't really have to use the toilet to, to, to poo so much. I mean, still the first couple of days, yeah, I had to learn how to wipe my bum. Is my bum clean? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> those those yes. types of, types of things, but you know, there's still um, the the shower and there's a bath inside. You just have to figure out how to use it without any any light. Okay. Um, so the bathroom and that was all handled. There was air conditioning. Um, uh, Jasmine, she would lead uh, maybe one to meditations a day, um, and so. If anyone had any serious concerns, they would be able to raise them. Um, it felt very safe through the whole process. Um, so, you know, but I think, yeah, I mean, if you've got a big fear of the dark, the dark is not going to feel safe for you. So some people who were there were really literally there to overcome the fear of the dark. And it's like, I don't know if that's the best thing to do, like a deep dive of nine days with no food, just in the dark because you're scared of the, of the dark. I think that you sort of need, need to have had, or it's a good practice um, when doing any deep dive like that or, or plant journey, that you have an internal process that is used to 
working on different emotions or trauma that might arise. That there is a, that there is a, that you've cultivated to some extent a process with being able to come to acceptance with all that arises. This, this process of surrendering, this process of vulnerability that, you know, some fears arising and you allow that space to breathe. You allow the space for the fear to breathe. It's some shames come in. You allow it space to breathe and you find some acceptance in that. You don't push it away because otherwise if you push it away, it's going to keep coming back at you harder and harder through the nine days. There comes a point where you have to come to acceptance with that. Yeah. So that's great. That's a great uh, explanation. Uh, so I think those are the questions that I had. That's wonderful. The sharing of your dark room retreat. And then Chris is back on his course again, off to the next big event. Yes. So I was still working in corporate, in finance for a gambling company, multi-billion dollar gambling company. And I was still, you know, in charge of all these, these people as, as I had, you know, whatever, I can't remember, 10 to 15 people who I was looking under this part of my team. And here I was, this person who's just gone to the dark room, done fasted for nine days, had heart orgasms. You know, do I share this with people? Um, what do I do? How do I approach working in corporate life? What, what, what does this, this whole thing mean to me now? Like, what do I do? Um, am I supposed to quit my, quit my day job? Like, what, what is, how do I integrate all this? That's the biggest question. How do I integrate all of these experiences now um, and not always just shock the living daylights out of everyone that I'm, I'm seeing? And, you know, I think that um, uh, one of my biggest strengths is that, um, as I think is a, with a lot of men, we tend to be okay with playing the hero. We tend to okay with being on the hero's journey. Like, and if we need to take the courage to just die or for an old persona or an old version of us to, to just die, we have like an ancestral practice of like, being okay with being the hero. So I was okay to go back into corporate and say, yeah, I just had this like crazy, you know, nine days of, of, of this, whatever it is experience. I was still processing it, but you know, yeah, it was profound and I'm not entirely sure how I can share it with you. But what I noticed began to happen was not that I would share all of the, um, all of the experiences of meeting this, you know, these golden Buddhas or whatnot. But I would, um, I, what I noticed was because my languaging was starting to change, my whole being was starting to change, how I would mentor or coach or resolve conflict in the workplace was also starting to, to change. The navigation of, of, of especially conflict was, was dramatically starting to shift um, what would be potentially, um, uh, like, let's say, um, a lot of managers and leaders, uh, are put into, you know, to these high positions of leadership and they might teach from like how discipline, like, okay, so it's like, here's our goal. We need to achieve this goal. How are we going to achieve them? And what, the, what are the behaviors we're going to do to, to get my staff to, to be disciplined enough in reaching this goal? And they might be really stretch goals. I mean, they always are very stretch goals. The, the how, like how. And most people actually default to, especially in times of stress and in, especially in times of uh, high pressure and, and anxiety, is they will default to how their parents disciplined them. And so they begin to bring their childhood disciplining trauma into the workplace. And I was seeing that so much more and more. I was less aware of that before, but I was so aware of it now. Fear, just the threats, the, uh, the, the shame, um, how, uh, you know, 
you, you know, the, the shame of under the performance, the threat of losing your job, um, the disgust of not uh, being with the team, being an outsider, blah, blah, blah. All of this sort of stuff, I was really seeing it. So, you know, I sort of decided to shelter my team out a bit, a little, a little bit. And I sort of took the brunt of a lot of the, the force, but at the same time, I couldn't help but notice myself just sinking, 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 and then having to pull myself up, sinking, sinking, sinking into like, not back into depression, but it almost was, it was like, a, it's like the stickiness. It was just, there's this stickiness and having to come out of this motivation. Um, I still noticed that um, I would struggle. Uh, hang on, I should not say I noticed. In hindsight, I noticed that I was still struggling with uh, words around my feelings. Uh, for me, my preference was just simply to go numb to them. I would just um, go into this Zen mode to like, okay, I'm living temple life again, and uh, this is amazing. I'm gonna draw back on my experiences of, of like being in the dark room and being in the heart, and I'm gonna go, and this is how I'm gonna approach conflicts. This is how I'm gonna approach difficult situations that I'm, yeah, I'm choosing to, to be still working here and in this environment. But you know, um, it it's, it's not, it's very, disconnected from my emotions, highly disconnected. And this is what I would call spiritual bypassing is uh, an inability to, let's say, tap into our emotions to bring forth what they may be telling us. And in hindsight, I know now that was causing my stickiness, but it, so I began, you know, just, this path of, of trudging along and I decided that I wanted to start like doing more plant journeys. I wanted to um, experience ayahuasca because I wanted, although my body now was actually re releasing a whole much more natural DMT, I wanted to see more visions. I wanted to see things day to day. I wanted to, I wanted to experience that experience um, in a day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, situation. And so I actually, I, I microdosed on Huachuma for four months with the intention of integrating that heart medicine to my corporate world. And I remember walking to work and I would literally see emojis on everybody's above here. I would be walking down the street and I would see emojis of how that person was feeling wow. that day. Wow. And so it, what that medicine really does is it forces us not just to be in the heart, but really, really deep in it. And, and so, sorry, Chris, for interrupting. Yeah. I, yes, I know you mentioned what it was, but I wasn't. Yeah. Uh, was that ayahuasca or was that a San Pedro? San Pedro. Yeah. Okay. And just for the listeners out there, uh, you know, there's other uh, plant medicines as well, um, but I'm not familiar with all of them. But I do know uh, of these two particular uh, particular ones. So sorry, yep. Chris, for interrupting, but okay. Um, and so um, I, yeah, I really, I really began this, uh, this, I, it was really, I would say the next couple of, the next two years was about integrating these experiences and really amping up um, my uh, connection to this um the sixth sense uh in a more permanent way that didn't require the aid of a plant just to have that happen for me naturally and the reason i i knew i mean i knew this afterwards um that one of the biggest reasons why i couldn't integrate this uh in a more permanent way was because 
for me, I feel like I said, intuition really comes from the heart. When it comes from the heart, we can actually really feel so deeply when someone else isn't in their heart or someone else is really hurting, it hurts us. There is this resonance that we really feel that when we're sitting next to someone and they're really hurting, we're here, I can feel their hurt. And imagine sitting or walking down the street and there's all these people who are hurting because they're all living this robotic life, working in the city, etc. Just like I just feel this depth of pain from all the other people. I feel this depth of pain from everybody. I feel this depth of pain as I'm walking and I'm sitting in the office and I'm sitting with all these people. And this, this, it's this sensation of feeling a depth of pain from my heart that also enables a very, very deeper level of compassion for our fellow humans, for each and every single individual. Yet it's a very, it's initially a very unpleasant experience, but now I realize it's this very experience of experiencing this deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper pain that just can totally blow us open to feeling more alive and feeling even more bliss. I know now that like, for instance, um, shamans who control the weather, uh, who do all sorts of mystical things with bushfires and uh, tornadoes. What these shamans are actually doing is they are steering, they're connecting with the tornado through their heart. And the tornado, for instance, is holding a great deal of pain. And actually where it's riding to is like, it's, it's, it's trying to eat up. It's like this gobbler of pain. And for the shaman to connect with the, the tornado uh, and, its, and its pain center through his heart, the shaman must be able to um, feel that deep level of pain. And not, you know, if we're not experienced in that, that deep level of being able to feel another's pain, it can take us to places of like heart attack. It can take us to places where um, it's, yeah, it's literally heart attack is, is where it can take us to that, that, that pain in the heart. And so I realized for me, it was this practice. I was learning to open up to it's like this urban shaman. I felt myself like walking through, feeling all of these people, not necessarily like feeling any need to heal them or show them something different. I was just like, just experiencing this for me. Um, and so I, uh, what happened after this? This was, and then, so yeah, I was working on this, this sixth sense. I decided to go into my second dark room. Um, I was like, okay, this dark room experience, I loved it so much, I'm going to do it again. So I decided I'm going to do this again. The second time around um, was a very different, uh, different just in the way that how, how deep it went. Um, I knew what to expect now. The moment the lights turned off, it was almost as though it was like welcoming a, an old friend. I could navigate the place um, very, very freely, very easily. Um, I could, you know, stand up, walk, etc. And immediately, I know what I noticed was the DMT release, the natural DMT release, it's already all there. So I was already not doing any more microdosing of plant medicine, not doing anything, anything external, but just myself. And so you know, like by the first day, the very, the very first day, this is when I started to um, be approached by Lao Tzu and his team. Initially, I didn't know who these peoples were. And I had studied um, a lot of... Um, when I, I'd say studied, but I had listened to a lot of Alan Watts speaking. And Alan Watts has incredible literacy to the Eastern arts, the Eastern mysticism. And for me, um, it was like I knew what he was saying. 
uh, to be true. And uh, this was a resonance that was, uh, you know, becoming embodied. So I had a lot of languaging already, a lot of literacy to understanding Taoism and all these different Zen practices. And I found these beings, Lao Tzu, these what I would call like immortal masters, coming to teach me uh, during waking moments and when I would be asleep. They would show me their lifetimes and they would show me where I was still anti-dark. I was still very like whenever it, uh, something uh, like that I would call like evilish or dark, whatever would come by, I would become antagonist. I would become sort of like, like get away. Like, no, I need to destroy you. I need to, I need to conquer you. And they were showing me this and they were, they were demonstrating to me in different ways in their own way. Uh, through feeling, uh, just massive downloads of feeling, um, alignment to find what I would now call the middle way, the middle path, the path of neutrality. And so they would come and teach me all of these different concepts, these, these elements, these things, and then the Zen masters would come and teach me. And so this process went on for nine days, nine days of, of this deep dive where it's, it's almost felt incredibly natural incredibly natural um and uh incredibly enlightening and by the end of those nine days i still realized that um i was no longer attacking the dark i was no longer um uh I was no longer uh, finding a need to conquer them or to destroy them. I was still numb to it, um, but they said that the lessons would continue. And so this, this process continued uh, then as I came out. It was, again, a much easier simulation to the light. It was like I was just, this, it's just like this natural flow. It's like, oh, yeah, you can just spend all this time in the dark and you just, just spend all this time in the light. After this, this is when I uh, met my um, ex-girlfriend whose stepmother was a psychotherapist. And she introduced me to this book. She's like, you, you, you're spiritually bypassing a lot. And I was like, I don't know what that means. So I, she introduced me to, uh, to Robert, Robert Masters and his series of books on emotional intimacy and emotional literacy. And I knew I still had issues with um, even naming my emotions or feelings because I'd be given a two-page list of emotions and feelings and I'm like, what do I have to do, memorize all of these? <laughs> it's, it's, it wasn't in my body. It wasn't a knowingness. So I read his books. I went to his men's group. And um, the very first group, I was, I was just blown open and I reconnected with my grief again for the first time. I realized that I was, I had a lot of conditioning around my ability to cry and my ability to be intimate with my sadness. And it blew open a whole new door into what I would call emotional intimacy. I realized that I was navigating the heart without a connection to my gut. And that was limiting me. That was limiting my intuition. It was limiting what I could feel and sense in different people. It was my, limiting my ability to be an empath. And I was in this uh, process, actually, that I saw, I become aware of the different personas that I was playing out as a coping mechanism to like the corporate world. And I would become like this chameleon in different places, in new social settings. I would become a different chameleon. In another place, I would become a different chameleon. Yet all still in my heart but I was playing out different acting roles. It wasn't really true because I wasn't fully connected to my gut. I was spiritually bypassing it. And so I began this deep dive into doing this emotional work. And it was this deep dive that I was faced, it's in this deep dive that I was faced with a choice. Do I give up this persona, right? Or these personas that I play out at work, or do I truly live them? And, um, 
so I decided again, you know, the hero's journey. Sure. I'm going to, I'm going to let go of this, the, the persona. I'm going to talk about feelings. I'm going to be, I'm going to talk about emotions. And I remember the first time being back at work and there was like literally almost a fist fight breaking out in the room. And I remember taking, taking these people into the room and I said, this is how I feel. This is how I um, feel about this situation. And I got really vulnerable with my feelings. And I said, I feel like, you know, there's this, there's, there's a great deal of tension here and I'm feeling a lot of frustration and, you know, anger and angst and blah, 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 blah. And what I noticed about the room and everybody in the room was there was just this softening. Here's a guy who's just, you know, taking it with frustrated to each other and was just taken aback by the openness and the vulnerability and by this person walking beyond the edges saying how they're feeling. And really all this angst is caused because people are not recognizing that we're actually just humans feeling and in this space. And as I navigated that situation and I felt the whole room softening, um, later on afterwards in the day, people came up to me and, and were saying, what, what did you say to them? Like, how did you navigate this? Because, because they're like, they almost feel like best buddies right now. They're working so well together, but they were almost in a fist fight this morning. And I was like, yeah, I can't believe I walked in here. It was like, how long were they going for? They were already going for about 10 or 15 minutes and no one intervened. I'm like, how, what, how does, how does, how does this happen? How do you, how does an office allow this to happen? Um, and that's when I realized, wow, the power of vulnerability, the power of actually having words to our feelings, to be able to name them, to be able to call them out is such a powerful thing, even in a workplace scenario. Yet we are so conditioned to shame how to shame expression of that. You know, um, but, you know, I had stories of like, uh, you know, men, many men shaming women for expressing their feelings and their emotions in the workplace. Well, and again, it you goes know? back to society, right? It gets, uh, it, it, it goes back to society and what society has classified as acceptable or unacceptable. Uh, this is predominantly how a male acts. This is how predominantly a female should act or this is how you behave in a business uh, environment and this is how you know and it goes on and on and so yep. yeah being vulnerable showed courage and that's what I think is admirable is that you know the person who's able to look at a situation and put words to it and come from a, a place of it doesn't matter on the receiving end if they get it or not I'm just going to bear my soul I'm going yeah. to be that person. And you know what? You're recognized and admired because you displayed the courage that is within each of us. And yet each of us are not able to quite step into that yet. Right. Right. It does take a lot of courage to see that. And yes. Courage. If you look at uh, the emotional chart of, uh, you know, um, uh, where does courage fall? Courage is, uh, you know, you've got the negative emotions and you've got the positive emotions. And so it goes from, you know, uh, probably um, it goes guilt and shame and it goes all the way up. Courage is the last, or I shouldn't say the last, it's the first positive step into the positive emotions. So you know, if you have anger, anger is good too, because anger will give you the fuel, the fire to keep going, keep going. But imagine now if you're so disempowered and so negative and that you're sitting there in shame, which is one of the lowest of the low, it's very difficult to take someone who's been shamed to be pulled into anger. 
right. then imagine the, the 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 journey from anger into courage. So that's right. Yeah. So and this is the yeah. This is exactly the the mechanics behind um, uh, Robert's work with me um, in the men's circle, where you know um, I was I had to tap into that anger first, the anger of not being allowed to be myself in the workplace, and I could I I could f feel in that moment where like we had all these men standing in front of us who were. Um, acting to be other corporate leaders, boardroom directors, etc., and saying, you sh what, what, what dark room, you know, shaming spirituality, shaming feelings, shaming emotions. And I was standing there and needing to tap into my courage to say, no, stop. And in that moment, uh, the, 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 it's a full bodied, full breathed, stop know that I was able to tap into all the grief that was trapped there in riding against the shame that you're talking about. It's in that, that very process of tapping back into what I call our fire or our anger that it kind of blasts away all that shame and all that fear about stepping into our truth, into, into being who we really feel we are deep down inside who we didn't even know we were yeah. and that that really um was very pivotal it's a very uh it's a very important piece of core work i sense that like a lot of people in the spiritual community who might be listening to, the, to this podcast who shame anger who are still scared of it um it's that for me now Anger has a healthy and an unhealthy side. There's an unhealthy and unhealthy side of re either reactivity or behaviors in the presence of any emotion. Um, and it's how we choose to behave in that. The anger can be used to reclaim our sovereignty. Anger can be used to reclaim our truth. It can empower us to say no. But it has been used in such a non-heart-centered way, in such a non-empathetic way to hurt us, to suppress us, to, 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 to shun us. And it's this rediscovery that we can rediscover this fire within us to then spark passion, to spark bliss. And this is really what I noticed after that was just the sense of something lifting, the sense of, of passion being reignited wasn't that it was just bliss anymore uh, in my heart. It was a passion. It was this fiery sense. And I noticed really this fiery sense uh, returning. Um, yes. So from that, and again, we, we definitely will have Chris back on the show. Uh, and for any of the listeners out there, um, you know, he brings a wealth of knowledge and uh, for for the, the two of us to come together, I think we could share quite a bit in yeah. many different subject matters. So thank you for that, uh, Chris. Sure. So, so uh, I just want to add one more. Yeah. Can I add one more thing about anger? Sure. sure. Which I think is important. Um, I had two, I had two kitties and like, I would still create uh, at this point in time, I would create rules for them that they couldn't follow. Like I would say, no jumping on the table. Don't do this. Don't do that. And the moment that they would do what I forbade them to do, forbid them to do, I would get so angry. All of this anger would be unleashed onto this poor kitty. All this rage. And I'm like, where is this? What is it coming from? Where is this buildup of anger? I just like... What, what's going on? What's wrong with me? I've done all of this work. You know, I've spent so many thousands and thousands of dollars on all of this work. And yet I'm still so angry at times with my kitties. I had created all these conditions around when I was allowed to express anger. And it was that work that I did in unlocking the core of the anger, which was truly me not allowing myself to be myself, that then I found myself 
what was I doing? I didn't need to be angry at my kids anymore. And all those conditions just suddenly flew, flew away. I didn't care if they jumped here or that. I was like, do whatever you want. It was now this new ease because all those conditions that I had based on just could dissolve. Oh, that's beautiful. And I think that um, for anyone in the listening audience, you know, anger gets the bad rap for everything. But um, the key takeaway from what Chris has shared here is that to, to walk the middle ground is to understand that you must embrace the positive and the negative. You must embrace both sides of the spectrum because without it, it is not whole. You have to have the yin and the yang, just like a, a, a car battery. You cannot charge a car, car battery without the alternative, right? So you've done two um, workshops and a retreat, and then you've started to make a real headway into the corporate world. Yes. Now I was making headways into emotional intimacy. Um, and connecting it all with my heart, with my mind, with my sensual and sexual being, um, not shaming any of this, any, any of what our common culture would shame in the sensual and sexual space. So I, I was exuding more sensuality and exuding more sexuality, just able to be more about myself. And so... Um, it was with this that I began navigating all my new relationships, continuing to do more men's group, more men's groups with Robert. Really, I found helped me to integrate all of this uh, in information, and through this, I began this starting to run um, emotional uh, intel. I called them emotional intelligence sessions at work. To started to run now. This was when I started to really become turn it uh, transition now into um, a space where I feel I could I could share back now, share back some teachings, share back uh, some of my journey, and help others uh, who feel a resonance with my story and my uh, transition. Uh, how what I did my learnings, my lessons, and just to shine a light on that path, right? And, um, you know, I think it, it all the way up to doing um, professional training with Robert in, in his psychosomatic type work to, um, to a space where eventually I was able to transition. I felt the courage to say, hey, I want out of this business now. I don't know what lies in ahead of me. I had no idea. Um, it was actually on a deep dive, um, with, uh, um, with the San Pedro, San Pedro plant, which I hadn't done in a very long time. It was a, a dear friend of mine who invited me to this journey and I went to do this journey and it said, okay, are you, and the divine said, are you ready, Chris? Are you, are you ready? Are you ready to see what's going to unfold here? Um, and I was like, okay, I surrender with a little bit of resistance, but just a lot of courage. I surrender, I surrender. And then he showed me, um, what would happen. I quit my job, you know, all these things would unfold and surely enough they did. And I met my beautiful wife two weeks afterwards. And it's again another very synchronistic uh, meeting. <laughs> she, her stories and what uh, of traveling. This? What? Sorry for interrupting. This is, uh, this is in 2017, I want to say. How we met and how we engaged um, is so synchronistically. You know, she was a backpacker coming down Australia, just happened to be in Sydney on the same time. And by this stage, I was already very uh, tapped into um, that sixth sense. I had, uh, I'm able to like read all these things about people, um, about their life now and their past lives through what we call 
the acacia that resides in everybody's heart and runs through the spine and is connected with the earth record the earth record of the acacia that we could read. And I met her. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Um, like I have so much to share with you because I recognized this, this person was really important. And, um, <laughs> yeah, it was our first meetings that, um, yeah, we really, we really connected and we started dating and I shared with, I shared with her, um, you know, I've been connecting with this, the spirit of this, of this child who I've been in communication with since I was like 12 and her name is Aisha and, um, Marilyn, um, Araya, Marilyn also said, Oh my goodness, are you serious? I've been connecting with this child since I was four. At the time in 2017, we're like, whoa, that's like, that's really freaky. Like how, what, like, and she's like, I feel like I'm being set up here. Like, yeah, <laughs> I guess it could feel that way. And so just a whole series of synchronistic things, you know, just, just synchronicity unfolds. What do I mean by synchronicity? There's this flow of like, you kind of, you were in the, you, 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 you're never not in the right place. You're always in the right place, but we are always trying to resist increasing our our natural flow towards states of more bliss, states of more passion, states of more spark. We always, there's this always attempt to, to resist it, to, to stop that flow in that direction. And when you say something like, okay, I just surrender to whatever this divine purpose is, it often leads us to such amazing experiences and it has rewarded me time and time and time again. And that's called stepping out of the way. Stepping out of the way. Exactly. Getting out of the way of yourself. Yeah. Just yes. allow things to be. Sure, the fears might come up. Okay, what are you going to do about money now, Chris? What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about a home? What are you going to do? All of these fears that arise that we learn to become still intimate with, but allowing it to just be. And staying out of the way doesn't mean that we, you know, a lot of people ask me, what's the difference between then manifesting something or having, you know, a sense of purpose or something to do in this life versus say, just, you know, like being very um, transient and just, I don't know what's going to happen or whatever. It's that it takes a slightly different form. It's like you, for me, manifesting is like imagining in great detail the vision, imagery of exactly where you want your life to be or where, how you would want, um, not how you would want, but what you would like um, your life experience to be and in great detail. And you just put it out there as a prayer or an intention to the universe and then you let it go. Um, I have found that that is the, for me, the most effective way of really um, bringing into your life uh, all the magic that you would want from a dream. And, and the thing is that uh, we, don't get what we don't get a say in is how that happens for us, the how, but so often we want to control that. We want to control the, um, the way that it happens. Oh, I don't like this. I don't like that. You know, and I call it a bit of a detox process. I didn't know I would end up in Kauai. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know all these things, but I put a vision out there that was just, um, you know, I want to continue this this path of bliss and sharing and sharing of passion i just want to continue that and this is what life has led me to i want to i want to live in a beautiful in a beautiful peaceful harmonious space that's what there you go universe okay and that's beautiful and so chris what else can we expect from chris moving forward 
Um, the so so on four 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 of this year. Um, uh, I was very firmly told, guided to come in resonance with um, really going a lot harder in sharing um, my story, sharing the story of the Lao, the original Lao Tzu and Zen lineages um, with the world because we are in such extreme contrasting um, uh, playing fields right now. We really need a side of neutrality, one who has lived light, one who has lived dark and has embraced it all, to come to a point of neutrality, to come to the middle way, to help to balance the scales out a little bit. Um, and normally the neutral side, so like when I see this, this picture, like there are like team light, there are, there's team dark and there's team neutral. Um, and, you know, I could go into a little bit of history that maybe, I don't know, um, a lot of, maybe a lot of people don't know. Uh, this is my perspective. You know, I, I see like this galactic council of 12. I see what should have been like, four light beings sitting on the council, four dark beings sitting on the council, and four neutral beings sitting on the council. Over some period in time, the neutral beings were all kicked out and replaced with dark. And so this has been this game of dark fighting, dark fighting light, dark fighting light, dark fighting light. Oh, dark is winning. Oh, hang on, now the light side's coming back, and now they're winning. So all these different races have been sort of fighting themselves and the neutral have just sort of been like, you know, fence sitters, right? Not generally engaged. Um, we're back on, we're back on the, the council now. And so there's four, 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 but there was a, there was still not so much engagement. It's always been just needing to balance the scales a little bit. That's the type of the role that has always been played. But now it's on 444, especially was uh, when I was being guided, it's time to go to work. So my sense of it is that a lot of other people like myself in these spaces are now starting to get to work, starting to engage and share themselves more publicly so that we can kind of not, it's, it, I, I want to say balance the scales, but I also want to say like, it's uh, it's like uh, we reach our hands out and it's like connecting. It's like, you know, some people say a rainbow bridge between the afterlife and the earthly life. I say it's a bit more like a bridge, a connecting bridge that sort of keeps us all joined together. Because right now, it's at this, at this time, I sense like this really great precipice of, of, of like all of this... Um, negativity all of all of this uh what is like what i would just simply call the dark agenda and the light agenda and we all have agendas and they're very polarizing we have like a narrative that has always been there a global narrative of like what mainstream media has has told us is the truth we've always had this mainstream narrative and now we have this conspiracy all the conspiracy narrative and i just call it conspiracy not in a shaming way but just simply the fact that it's that's the, the, the line and the thread that we commonly know it as. So there is this dark narrative now, and there is this light narrative now, and humanity now finds itself in this tussle between the two. Which one am I going to believe? And it's like a war of beliefs right now. So people are finding which, which side am I going to take in this whole virus thing? What's true? Is it man-made? Is it not? Is it this? Is it this? And the thing about team neutral is what we say is, does it matter? That's the question we ask to people. Does it really matter? Are we really wanting to engage in the drama again? Which feels like we've done it for so long, so, so long, right? Or can we find another way? Is there a middle ground here that okay, we get the whole thing's not working. It doesn't matter how it's not working. It doesn't matter if it's 5G. It doesn't matter if it's like 
Wi-Fi or technology or AI or this or that or man-made viruses. It doesn't matter. What do we want to create new? Because it's a choice point. What do we want to build new? The past is the past. We can go heal it in our own time. We don't have to necessarily heal it by saying our truth is more right than other people's truth. We can heal it by going inside of ourselves, by saying, what's making me feel this way? What's making me feel this level of disgust towards this person, this level of anger towards this, this thing, making me feel so activist-like about saving the animals, about saving our planet and climate change, all these different activist activisms. It's not that the purpose is mis misguided. It's that the place that it comes from comes from a wound that we haven't addressed. This is what I call the shadow. This is what I call like inner, inner work. And this is really what um, I'm really focused on sharing right now is a, a community or a tribe of people who just want to build something new. And so, Chris, if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, if you can share with the audience once again your uh, website address, and if they needed to, how would they get a hold of you? You can find us on kindtrainer.com, and um, you can reach out to us there. Wonderful. Well, Chris, as, uh, as uh, the audience has probably already uh, understood, you are one amazing and magnificent being. And we are so, so fortunate to have had you here. We are definitely going to have you back because we want to get into the uh, men's circle, the emotional work that you've done, because I think that that would be amazing to bring something on board. And then maybe we can set up something which is actually more participatory so that people can actually, uh, yeah. you know, uh, have a live session with you, which yeah, is, fantastic. I think, uh, that's that's amazing because you know what now is the time and i love the idea that you are um you are moving forward from that place of neutrality because you know what that place of neutrality is so needed and uh it is the way forward totally agree with you and on that note to the audience i'm cylindron buller your host of uplifting humans where we honor empower educate and inspire the listener with real stories and expert advice thank you